Welcome to the Strangers on the Way podcast, where daily interaction with a stranger can transform your life. We hope today's episode inspires you to meet your own Strangers on the Way. Welcome to the Strangers on the Way podcast. I am so excited to introduce introduce you to this beautiful guest. I actually met her in Hollywood, which is so fun. Um, she is quite famous, at least to me. I feel like she will be famous to many. Um, her name is Hannah Matthews. Um, I was just on a, a mission trip with her, and we went all around um, Skid Row. We went to um, Hollywood studios all over the city, and I was captivated by Hannah's love for people and um, her confidence and just um, her joy. And so I asked her to be a part of the podcast today. I just learned that her name means grace. And um, as we were praying for this time together, we actually saw a waterfall and the words waterfall of grace. And so we feel like you, um, just as you listen, will um, our prayer is that you experience the grace of a father who loves you so much. Um, and Hannah, thank you for being here. Would you just start by sharing a little, little bit about who you are, what you're, what you're up to in this season, anything you want to share with our listeners? Lauren, I love you so much. Thanks for having me, first of all. Um, to give you a little context, when I first met Lauren on the missions trip, Lauren was this one person that had a gift for everyone on the team. I remember you just went out and gave us all like these sweet cards and like, did it have candy in it as well? I don't know. You just gave like these prophetic words. And I'm like, who is this woman? Like I felt so seen and loved by Lauren. And so Lauren, you just, oh, this woman loves people so well. And just being with you, knowing you for just this limited time, uh, I feel so, so loved by you. And thanks for just having me. Mm. So well. um, thanks, Hannah. Yeah, it's such a privilege, honestly. Um, so currently, uh, I find myself in Los Angeles. Um, it's just, yeah, I know. It's more, actually, at this point, it's more a step of obedience more than faith. I think at one point, I was just like, yeah. I, I'm, I'm going to be here, eventually move here, but eventually I think during the mission trip was when I heard the Lord very clearly say, move Los Angeles, now is the time. Uh, and so I'm doing ministry here, um, ministry work. Um, just to give you a little background, I was born and raised in the Middle East um, for like 18 years of my life. Um, and then I went to India to do college to get a business degree. Um, but as soon as that was done, I jumped into the music scene and I was doing music for like um, six to eight years in the industry there. Um, it was really fun. And then the Lord actually um, brought up Bethel, put it in my heart to go to ministry school. And that's how I found myself in Redding, California um, in 25th, no, 20, 2018, 2018, sorry. And since then, it's just been such such a great journey uh such a wild journey with jesus and uh, yeah fast forward five years later done with ministry school and i'm here now so yeah this is great it's beautiful a new adventure ahead yeah a new adventure ahead. i'm very very excited um yeah and mm. wow could you share a little bit about growing up in the middle east 
oh well yeah what what exactly would you like to know there's so many things um i the middle east i specifically grew up in kuwait so it's not like saudi arabia it's not like kuwait i think is pretty liberal when it comes to just you know um being a christian and living there and all of that so i mean i had a pretty like i had a sheltered childhood i feel like it was not like so you know i like i was such a really nice comfortable uh life living with my parents and just this really happy childhood i remember um and it was fun we had our own community i went to this school um that was a super mix of so many cultures i think i've been around different cultures like right from the time i was a little kid um wow. right from church to school and has so many i mean friends from different cultures as well so i think i just grew up like that um and yeah i mean arabic foods my favorite food if you ask me what my favorite cuisine is i would 100% mediterranean and then second would be indian uh and i think that's a recent development but anyway uh that aside yeah the middle east was fun i it is normal regular yeah i i don't know if that that helps answer your question i don't know if you were looking for like a yeah. i don't know oh, that's for, like, beautiful what like, what when you moved okay when you moved to india and then when you moved to the us like what is the biggest difference you notice between those three kuwait india and the us There definitely no cows on the road here. That's no cows on the road. <laughs> that's a, no that's cows. Honestly, I'll tell you what. Since I grew up in Kuwait, see, if I shifted from Kuwait to America directly, there would hardly be any like culture shock or difference or whatever. Wow. And I think that's why America actually feels almost like you know the sense of home. Mm-hmm. Uh, I grew up in like a place like whatever like this, but. If I had to shift from India to America, if like I was born and raised in India and then come, that would be like a huge culture shock shift, okay. whatever you call it, you know. Because in India, there's so much happening, you know. Like you step onto the street, there's a dog, there's a cow, there's like street vendors, there's like so much going on, you know. People screaming mm-hmm. from like one side of the road to the other, you know what I'm saying? There's so mm-hmm. much commotion, and then. you come to a place like this where everything's pretty organized and like structured and you know it's 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 just different you know yeah. um, but again not too much of a culture shock uh, every place has its you know beauty pros and cons right mm-hmm. so i i enjoyed it all um definitely missed the food in kuwait loved the freedom that i got just as, to explore as a woman to do music all of those things because mm-hmm. obviously when i shifted to india i was not like living with my parents per se anymore um sure. so i had that freedom to like explore the arts and like do whatever i wanted to um so i loved the freedom that india gave me just as a woman and i think it was just super empowering mm-hmm. uh, for me you know? um mm-hmm. and then yeah and with america it's just been this whole another level of like Jesus journey freedom risk it's just the yeah it's just taken a whole another level but i love the community here mm. i love the community here uh, especially my bethel family and it's just been oh what a treat what a treat so, yeah. yeah i've enjoyed every season yes oh it's amazing i i'd love to hear a little more about your time in india you said mm-hmm. you were a bit more empowered in just checking out your giftings and exploring music what did that look like for you and 
How did you kind of explore those things? Had you explored them as a child or was this like kind of new territory as you went off to college? So thanks to my mom, uh, my mom and, okay, give you a little context. My mom and dad actually met, I'm going somewhere with this, okay, so I'll tell you why yeah. I need it. Um, so my mom and dad actually met in church choir. They fell in love, got married. So I've always had like this kind of inkling to music and arts like running in my family. And so by the time I was like four years old, my mom had already put me in like church choir. I grew up literally singing. She'd always like put me in these competitions. So I did singing, poetry, like and always getting, if, okay, this is a little bit of a brag, but you know, I might as well just say it. Always getting first prize. Listen. <laughs> And I think I think there was one year where I got like second place and I remember I blamed my brother for it because he was just like distracting me while I was there. So literally I remember when they announced that I got second place, I went up to class, knocked on the door, told his teacher I wanted to meet him, and I literally threw up it. Like, because that was anyway, that's a long story. Anyway, but that was funny. So that's how competitive I was. But because I was just my Thanks to my mom, like I was always competing, always doing these like so used to the stage, right? Mm-hmm. So in church, but in Kuwait again, it was a very, it was a more sheltered, controlled space. So I was never like out there doing any gigs or like nothing. Sure. It was just in school, at church, but you know, some form of singing, some form of arts or poetry, whatever. And then so much so, like when I shifted to India for college, you know, in college you have all these like we call it fests okay it's like where you all these like competitions and like all these like events and so i started like taking part in them and then pretty much like sooner than i expected i just got plugged into like the music scene in college and i was doing a business degree then right by that time but i was pretty much always with the choir so at some point like i I remember once my, my uh, in my one of my college teachers they almost canceled my name out of the college register because they thought i wasn't in college anymore because i was spending so much time with the choir and team. that's how they all like so i was wow. always with the arts team i was always with them and then i towards my final year of college towards, towards my third year i get this message from like a local band in you know india where, where i was studying at that point of time and they said hey will you join us will you you know we want you to be part of your life and this was a 10 piece band okay 10 piece uh they have like a brass section they had like this whole thing going on and we were really really good a bunch of kids but we were good at what we did and like i think uh i remember doing my first gig with them i think this is the favor of the lord i was 20 years old i had my first, I, this was on my birthday so september 6th yeah, September 6, 2014, I turned 20 years old. I did my first gig with them at this like bar. And I was like, oh my gosh, look at me. I'm so cool. I'm doing this secular gig, singing Bruno Mars songs and whatever. It was, it was <laughs> And I remember as soon as I was done, this, I mean, again, I don't know many, many artists that can testify to this, but I, again, this is the favor of the Lord, right? As soon as that gig was done, I remember that weekend, there was an article that the, that was released. So some media people there that attended the gig. And that was when my first article, like there was an article written about like, I don't know, 13 uh, artists or whatever in India whose style you'd love to steal. Um, and so that's when I first, and then they included my name in it, you know, and wow. these are like, my name is with these lists of artists that have been around in India, like these women and other men that have been around in 
the music scene in India for like decades. And then there's little old me added to this because just one random media person just shows up for my first gig and he adds me to this list. And that's when I started getting a little bit of media traction like locally uh, mm-hmm. for the second music that I did. So I just plugged myself into doing secular music and I, I did well. Wow. Um, and, but funnily enough, but again, like it was during that time that my mom was diagnosed with cancer and then she got sick and all of those things. So within a year of that, like my whole like jumping into the music scene, um, you know, within that, the span of that year, my mom passed away. So to cope with that, um, I just got into work even further. I never really got into like alcohol or like all of those other things like drugs or whatever. But for me, it was just like, okay, let's just immerse ourselves in the music. Let's just go for practices, come back home late, all of those things. Mm-hmm. So it was fun, but I think it, it could only last for a certain season for me. And like I, I was doing secular music and also, mind you, I was still doing gospel music. I was still serving at church and all of those things during the at the same time but i was making money off it. um you know doing um gigs and traveling and like i was so i started sessioning with other bands as well after that so did a lot of sessions work enjoyed it it was fun but mm-hmm. at the same time i realized i was also deteriorating on the inside because yeah. i was not dealing with the grief there was a lot of identity stuff that i was i was struggling with i thought i was confident and it was coming off almost as this like cocky confidence slash pride which was rooted in deep deep insecurity um mm-hmm. it was yeah it, it, it was a fun time till it came to a point where 2017 you know when you ignore the nudges of the spirit so much and eventually you just set your own life on fire it it just mm-hmm. hit one of those places where i was just like okay god i'm just gonna keep doing my thing keep ignoring you um, and then eventually I set my own life on fire, just different mm-hmm. circumstances. And I remember um, hitting rock bottom and, and like telling the Lord, I said, okay, God, like, I know I set my own life on fire, but will you take this away? Will you take the repercussions away, the pain away? Like, I don't want to deal with any of this. Yeah. In classic Jesus style, he did not take the pain away, but he chose to inhabit that fire with me. And he sat with me through it. Um, and in that fire, he started burning away relationships, situations, people, whatever that's not supposed to be there in my life, just started pruning, refining me. And over time, I realized that that same fire that was pruning me was the same fire that was also fueling me to my destiny. And this is when wow. uh, all these things. So around this time when I was processing whatever with the Lord, uh, I stopped, I had to stay, I had to stop doing the secular gigs for a while. I had to like say, actually, I love these musicians. I loved who I'm around. But at that mental state that I was in, I knew it was not healthy for me to be around these people because these weren't the people I was supposed to be looking up to for um, the great, skilled, talented musicians and artists that I worked with. But at the same time, they were not in a mental place, spiritually, emotionally, whatever, to guide me to where I needed to be because these were people that were older than me too and I think as a young person um, going through all of that you I mean especially when you're in that space yes you need people that are skilled that you look up to performers that you look up to but you seldom come across artists and musicians that actually have their head on their shoulders and have you know um, some level of 
being able to also mother you and also be able to father you and all of those things. So I didn't have brothers and sisters or mothers and fathers in the industry per se at that point of time. So the next best thing is I knew is like I had to I had to cut away. And so I stopped saying yes to projects. I pulled out from the music scene entirely. And that's when, you know, the Lord started like refining my life. And then that's when Bethel came up, which was in the year 2016. By 2017, I applied. Um, and that's how like, yeah, I went to Bethel, did my first two years um, post-Bethel, like for those, actually for the year and a half. It took me about six months to a year to actually say yes to the Lord. And then for the last, I think from 2021, 2021 and the end of 2021 onwards, I was like, okay, God, let's jump into full-time ministry. Let's do this. And funnily enough, the people that, that I was supposed to work with till like that I project with till December, they also moved to the US, which is really funny around the same time. So wow. it was like the world already, yeah, anyway. But uh yeah. So and then I find myself in Reading. I and then I was remember telling the Lord, I said, God, like, okay, I know, I know what Reading's like. Um, it's, it's just going to be, you know, me and you. But I remember this desire. I'm like, oh, God, it would be so nice if I could at least continue to do the music here. At least continue to do some form of reggae. And he made a way. Like, he introduced mm-hmm. me to these amazing people. Um, brothers of mine, like, literally, that literally came down from India. I didn't even know that they were, like, whatever, professionals, camera, crew, whatever, whatever. And so they landed up, like, helping me, helping me, like, record all these videos and, like, still able to send contact content back home uh, wow. to India and like still collaborate with people thanks to the internet. So I've been able to do like, yeah, still do a little music and like send it back home and like, you know, kind of have the best of both worlds uh, mm-hmm. like that. Uh, but yeah, and now he's he's brought me here. So I don't know, we might have gone a little, little rabbit trail around everywhere, but I hope I answered your question. Um, Not yeah. So good. Um, as you were talking, what captivated me was um, the phrase, then the Lord led me here, then the Lord led me here, then the Lord led me here. And I know um, when I work with young adults, uh, the, one of their biggest questions is, how do I hear from God? How do I know he's talking to me? And I know you carry an intimacy with Jesus um, like no one I've ever seen. So could you just share a little bit about how you built your relationship with Jesus, how you hear from him, how you how you feel his direction, um, what does that look like in your life? And then any advice for people that are like, oh, I want to know God like that. i tell you a story, okay? Mm-hmm. So, this is when I encountered Jesus for the very first time. And this is actually the, not even Jesus. This is the person. I need to be very specific. This is the person of the Holy Spirit. And after that, this has become my gauge in hearing from the Lord. And so little context when i was in the 11th grade i remember i had just kind of shifted schools all right so i shifted schools and this is like you're in high school this is this is just like you're almost done with school and now so it, it was at this phase where everyone's i mean everyone's trying to be cool and impress everyone and i remember being this almost like this new kid that um i i was a good student you know, I was doing really well, but at the same time, I enter into this school and I remember the first semester was was quite difficult for me to make friends. Um, and again, this is a mix, like so many Arabs in this school, very few Indians, um, you know, and so I don't know, it was just, 
I remember after the first semester, we broke out for summer break. And I remember just like, because I had almost no friends, I remember developing this special relationship with Jesus. Like he became my best friend. I would just talk to him every night, speak to him every morning, read my Bible. Because there's one, th and I think I learned this from my parents, because if there's one thing that my parents taught me how to do is, is it's to go to Jesus during time of crisis. Like, you know, like whenever I've seen them going through a hard time, I've seen my mom literally go into her prayer closet and pray and my dad, like, you know, open his Bible. I've literally seen him weep before the Lord. And then after that, probably light a cigarette and then do all that other stuff. But <laughs> that's true. I love okay. my dad. But um, he, but it was so real though. And I think that's how I, I like, I learned how to be real before the Lord as well. Not that I smoke, but I just, <laughs> it's just, it, it, yeah. So I think seeing, watching my parents and then knowing that, okay, I'm going through a hard time right now. Who can I go to? And then my default was Jesus. And so I developed a special relationship with him. And it's not that I felt anything or, you know, it was just like, okay, I mean, people have imaginary friends. My imaginary friend can be Jesus, right? So mm. I developed this relationship with him. And I remember before my second semester, after summer break, before my second semester began, I remember just feeling so much of this weight of like, oh gosh, like I don't know if I can go back to this school and it's just been so tough. And I remember just weeping before the Lord one night uh, in my bedroom and saying, oh, and it just came from like this pure childlike heart. I'm like, oh God, just give me friends. That's all I prayed. I said, Lord, yeah. I just want friends. And the minute I prayed that, I felt like almost my spirit recognized, I didn't even know this, this phrase was in the Bible because my, like until later, because my spirit immediately recognized it and gave me language and recognized this, this being like that literally came from the right side. I can still feel it like comes from the right side on literally on the top from the atmosphere. And I remember recognize, recognizing this as the peace that passes all understanding, like literally entered my room, tangibly entered my room. And I remember just feeling so overwhelmed with this peace that I just kept weeping and weeping and weeping and in that moment I knew that my prayer was answered that of course that I am going to have friends but it was just it encapsulated like even more than that I felt so held you know and it was just like more than that prayer request was answered with the entrance of this peace with the entrance of this person of peace and I felt so encapsulated by his love that literally, honestly, after school, my school life is great post that because the Lord, I think, really provided me with so much favor. Um, and that's a testimony for, that's like another day, but um, he really did answer my prayer. I had, but at, at that, I think coming to your question or answering your question, that was my reference, peace. But not the kind of peace that I, because a lot of times we can, um what do you say we can use peace as an excuse but this is peace as a person so my gauge was the person of peace what he's leading me into um not my own idea of this is what i'm comfortable with you know mm -hmm. um yeah because the person of peace propels you forward sometimes 
what we're comfortable with, we sit back, relax, and we don't lean in. His peace draws you in. It's like come mm-hmm. out into the water. come out, walk onto the water with me. You know, that's that's the kind of peace that I'm talking about. You know, and that's how I've been led. Like that peace has always been like drawing me. Um, it's like oh, I, that risk feels peaceful. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yes, <laughs> I love it. And so it's like you have this kind of that you do feel the jitters, but at the same time it's like oh, but if I don't do this, I won't be able to sleep at night. You know, because the peace is there, not in my like. I'll tell you, the safest place to be is where God sends you. So if it's in the middle of a freaking war zone in Syria or wherever, that's the safest place to be, not in your house, not mm-hmm. where you feel most comfortable. If God has sent has told you to be at a certain place, that's the safest place to be because wherever mm-hmm. God sends, the safest place to be. And so that has been. Yeah, that peace that passes all understanding has been my gauge. Um, part of your question? No, that was good. Just as you make decisions, so you follow yeah. that peace, even though it might feel like an invitation to risk, which sounds a lot like the Christian life. <laughs> um, that's beautiful, but you still have the sense of peace, push like inviting you forward. Yeah, it's an invitation. That. It's not a provocation. Yes, right, because. Sometimes even with the enemy, like the enemy will get us to strive to make things happen through torment, and it'll be like you're not doing enough, you're not da 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 da, right? But when the Lord leads you into something, there's almost like this gentlemanly, like, hey, will you come? Mm-hmm. You know, are you gonna? Oh, it's it's the best. It's it's so attractive. He's Jesus is so attractive. Mm-hmm. Anyway, <laughs> beautiful. So if someone were listening today and they're weighing a decision, whether it's big or small, what Mm -hmm. would you say, like, how to, I guess, connect with the person of peace? Honestly, just wait. I think in that waiting and in that resting, because a lot of times we are looking to do a lot. And so the harder thing would be, okay, God, this is a decision that I have to make what do I do? And then just put it before the throne and just wait, sit there, marinate for a little bit in that, in that tension, in that not knowing, just, it's okay. So, cause sometimes you want our answers like today, give it to me right now. A lot of times the Lord will be like, okay, just let's wait it out. Let, let time pass by, let time tell, you know, and it will automatically like come up or, you know, the answer mm-hmm. will be revealed to you. Are we okay with that tension of mm. not knowing? That's the question. Mm. Are we okay with in, in that tension of not knowing? Is he enough in that in that moment when I don't know? And I think once we realign that focus and saying, actually, God, even though I don't know what to do here next, you're enough. This is not the end of the world. Once my heart is positioned in that place, I'll know the answer. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's beautiful. Because more than the answer in itself, it's the decision doesn't get to dictate my mental peace. He hmm. is my peace. Could you talk so, more about that? Ooh. I think in this world, with the swirl and the noise and the mental health ac- epidemic, you know, what I think that's what people are looking for. Right. 
Jesus is such an amazing lover. And he leads us in through like, oh, it's just the Songs of Solomon thing. Where he's just, he's constantly, we're on this adventure with him and he wants us to savor life. He wants us to savor moments, be present, enjoy every sip of coffee, just have fun. Just, we were created for his pleasure. We were created just to be with him, to spend time. That's it. Because more than the promises in itself, it's the promise giver, the company of his presence. I remember, oh my gosh, I had this encounter in my first year where the person of Jesus walked into my room. And I'm telling you, Lauren, the things that I was crying about literally five minutes before he entered the room, like whatever, the husband, the kids, the future house, all of that, all of that just flew out the window. And he encapsulated everything, like my past, my present, my future. He was it. Everything encapsulated into one moment, just that person. And I'm like, this is what I was made for. This is what I what I was born for, him. him. And to realize that more than the gift in itself, that it is the giver, it, it, it's, it's him that counts. And I remember saying out of my mouth, I've never been more satisfied. I've never been more fulfilled. I've never been more satisfied than just being with him and in his presence. So coming back to that tension of like with the swirl and, you know, the enemy is a barking dog that cannot bite. Chris Walton says this. He says, you know, like the Lord is leading us like, from glory to glory. And there are like these chapters of destiny that we have to walk through. He's leading us. He leads us. He's the good shepherd. He's leading us. And sometimes when we're transitioning from one season to another, the enemy cannot take away the promise from you. But if he can instill fear in you, if he can instill some form of offense, something, he can cause delay Hmm. from you entering into that next place. Right? And so with and the swirl is a part of that. The barking of these toothless dogs or these whatever, these toothless lions that look intimidating. It's, it's all that, all this noise. As long as I can keep you occupied with the noise, I'm good. Because I've kept you in isolation. I've kept you in fear, right? And so a lot of times when we lose sight of him, when we lose sight of Jesus, when we lose sight of our lover, we give in to the noise. We give in to the, oh, I need to make a decision about this. I need to, da, 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 like the 500 million things appear from nowhere, right? But if I keep the main thing, the main thing, I am able to walk forward. I'm able to take just, I have light enough for that next step. I'm just gonna take that next step, you know? If I'm thinking about myself too much, that's also a problem, you know? Um, and I think a lot of times the enemy can use that too, but, uh, man, I, I'm, I hope I'm answering your question and being coherent about this as well, because there are so many, I, I know there's so many things I can say, so many ways I can go with this, but I want to keep this, um, as direct as possible. Um, yeah, but especially true. with regard to, there are a number of things that we can get distracted by. But to ignore, ignore the noise and pick your battles wisely. It's not like all these other things that are happening, all these decisions. Yeah, that are important. But what's also important is the peace that you carry, 
the rest that you carry and the amount of hope that you carry. Because the amount of peace that you carry in the room determines the amount of authority that you carry in the room. And the enemy is also after the authority that you carry in your life because he just wants you to partner with fear. He just wants you to partner with fear, right? And once he gets you to partner with fear, you tap out. There's delay, there's denial, there's distraction, all of these things that come in once you partner with fear. And I think asking the Lord to fix the posture of my heart and allow my heart to respond rightly to situations. And it is unto him, God, unto you, my eyes are fixed on you. And that's it. That's the, that's the point, really. So that my eyes are fixed on him in every situation, in anything. Nothing else, nothing else matters. Honestly, nothing else matters. Everything else, like seek ye first the kingdom of God. But he is the kingdom. He is it. He is heaven, right? So once my eyes are fixed on him, everything else gets its proper place. Everything else is aligned. You know, in Romans, I think this is Romans chapter one or two. It talks about a, the people group, okay, a people of God that once they stopped worshiping God. Now I'm paraphrasing this, but this is in the message translation. It says once they stopped worshiping God and putting God in his place, like in his rightful place in their lives, they trivialize themselves. They trivialize themselves to the standard of culture. They trivialize themselves, it says, to a place of silliness. So you, you see, the thing is, if I don't have Jesus as number one on the throne of my life, in the throne of, on the throne of my mind, then I'm actually trivializing myself to a place of silliness. I become really silly. I'm not even human anymore. Because as a human, I was designed to worship. Not things, not people, not myself, but the Lord Jesus Christ. And the minute I worship him and say, Jesus, you are seated on the throne and you are God. That's when I come into my fullness of who I am as well, like designed to be as a human being, as a daughter, as a whatever. And then that's when everything in my life starts, like, you know, taking its place as well. Because Jesus is king, not the decisions, not these other things that are trying to dictate my identity. Because constantly... In our everyday life, the enemy is after our attention. And things that we, and he's, he wants us to attach or give power to things and give value to things so that it robs us of our identity. I don't know if I said it the way, if I said that the way I wanted to convey it. It's almost like he wants us to partner with these other less, less important things so that we attach our identity and our value to all these other things than our creator, than him, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. So good. It's beautiful when um, I feel like it's rare to come across someone that you can see is a lover of Jesus, like a true lover, like bride. You understand the depth of his love. And um, I can feel even just hunger stirring up in myself and probably our listeners too, to experience that. It's, it's stunning. And I know um, God's just been showing you some neat new things. Would you share, um, just as we kind of wrap it up, a few of the things he's been showing you um, in the word or in your time with him, um, anything that might encourage people listening? Yeah. Like, I literally, I was just sharing with you before we like, started doing this podcast um so the lord i've been meditating on the story of abraham um and just the lord especially with this season i feel like he was just like hannah i want you to read about this about abraham and he said okay god and he's i've literally been honestly 
it's been as many as like a verse or two three verses that i read and then mind blown right um and i'm chewing on these verses every single day and i've been on this passage um with regards to the relationship between sarah and hagar and since we were talking about the promise since we were talking about you know the barking dogs that can't bite you know oh what i wanted to say earlier was chris valentin talks about the dogs of doom lie at the door of destiny i don't think i ever said that you know the dogs of doom lie at the door of destiny but these dogs are barking dogs that don't bite so go through those doors anyway right because you are meant to go through those doors don't let those dogs intimidate you because that's what the enemy wants to do right if my focus is on the dogs and not on the owner of the dogs it's it's different my focus should be on the owner of the dogs right not on all these like distractions anyway so tying this in with the story of sarah and hagar a couple of things that the holy spirit was highlighting to me that i'm still unpacking with him i'm still chewing on but i'll, I'll share with you what i know or what he's he's spoken to me about god promised abraham that he would be a father a father to nations a father of men that that was his promise that was the promise right abraham the, go from this country to the next and travel as no band but i will make you a father but he also promised sarah the same thing he said he, it's not just abraham would be made father by any old woman right it's not just anybody it was abraham and sarah it, he chose sarah as much as he chose abraham right but the thing is for some reason sarah didn't see herself like that Sarah actually didn't see herself as a mother for a long time right and as a mother because god called her a mother but she didn't see herself as a mother she regarded this promise that the lord that that the lord had given her to be of more value than what she was in the lord does that make sense she regarded the promise to be even greater than her own value so because she disregarded her value she sabotaged her promise for the first time creating ishmael right does that make sense so because she didn't see herself as a mother or a worthy equal or see herself the way god sees her she tells abraham you know what take my maid servant take hagar right and honestly to be honest i feel like sarah would have really liked this girl this hagar person right she, i don't think she would have given given any old lady to abraham to like sleep with and have a child with she would have been like wow you know what i really like her personality my whatever future stepson or whatever will have her personality like whatever she's beautiful yeah. and she yeah so she would, must have been a good reason for her to pick hagar right so she would have probably had a good relationship with her too right and so she tells abraham you know what i don't think i'm cut out for this job i don't think i'm i'm the woman you need right to be this to fit this mother role so because of this lack of like worthiness or seeing herself through the father's eyes she sabotages a promise that the lord had actually promised her and she said he said i will give you a son i will give you but sarah didn't see that right so just to make this promise happen in the name of love in the name of you know being oh this is this is a good cause i'm i'm the savior here i'm going to make this happen right so all in the name of like a a good heart she allows this to happen you know she she settles for ishmael because of a lack of seeing her own value she settles for ishmael and so now once hega is pregnant she starts looking down on sarah and now sarah gets mad but now she's frustrated because she realizes that 
I mean, okay, this baby is coming. I'm supposed to be happy, but I'm not. And so even Sarah can feel like this frustration, like this, what, what is, what's going on? And so because she has now settled, she has invited, to be honest, like in the, in, in the, mes, in, in the passion translation, was this in passion? But anyway, there was an explanation for this. Sarah, because she had settled, she had almost invited this torment upon her, you know, torment from culture, torment from the enemy, this, this voice of accusation almost. So now she had invited this torment because she had not seen herself the way God was seeing her, right? From Hagar, from whatever. And she's like, oh my gosh, I feel this frustration. This is, I don't think this is it. This is not, this is not it. And then she goes to Abraham. She's like, this is all your fault. You slept with us, this is all your fault. And I love what Abraham says. He looks back at her and he says, so what did you do with your authority? Because Hagar was under your authority. See, a lot of times we blame situations and circumstances. I'm like this because of my father, because of my partner, because he didn't allow me to, therefore I am not. And then Abraham looks back at her and it's like God's asking, so what did you do with what I told you? What I, who I told you that you are? Like, what did you do with all of that info? And so Abraham looks at her and says, you know, what did you do with your authority? Hagar is still your maidservant. Do with her as you please. And so because of that skewed vision, Sarah sends Hagar away, right? She sends Hagar away into the wilderness. This is the fun part. Hagar is met by this angel of the Lord, which some people say was Yahweh himself, right? And I love what um, Yahweh says to her. He says, what are you doing here? And he addresses her as maidservant of Sarah from a place of position, right? He addresses her at like, he calls her by her place and he tells her, go back to where you came from. Go back. I will bless you. I will make a nation out of you. I'm with you. Now, this is what was highlighted to me just today. Over the last day or so, I've been coming across posts from Lou Engel, Ben Fitz, talking about the spirit of Jezebel being like, that the Lord dealing with the spirit of Jezebel. I was like, oh, God, what's that? Like, can we hear about the spirit of Jezebel? everywhere like you know what i'm saying like it's not an uncommon term for like the church to use oh my god what is this and the lord was saying you know whenever you partner with the spirit of fear jezebel is not a person jezebel is not people you know what i'm saying jezebel is not attached to you can't call a lady jezebel she is not the personification it's a spirit now how does that spirit enter it's that spirit enters when we partner with fear and that fear when it gets us to isolate ourselves from community, that's Jezebel. That's Jezebel. And so when Sarah had this, I mean, it was a Jezebel spirit that worked between um, Sarah and Hagar, if you actually notice. But when did she enter? It's when Hagar partnered with, with fear. And what did that spirit do? It sent her into the wilderness. Does that remind you of another story? Elijah. What did Elijah do? Elijah, it says Elijah was afraid. Jezebel said all these things to Elijah, like the actual queen, the OG Jezebel. She said all these things to Elijah. She said, hey, I'm going to kill you, da, da, da. And then what happened? Elijah was afraid and he ran. That's how he got to the wilderness. That's how he got drained. And I think a lot of us are in a season of self-inflicted wilderness because we're not seeing ourselves rightly, the way the Lord sees us. Because the thing is, if I'm rooted in my identity and see myself the way Lord's, the Lord sees me, 
then I'm able to assess my season wisely. If I'm not assessing my season wisely, then I'm automatically isolating myself, claiming that it's my season of wilderness when it's actually a Jezebel, when it's actually a spirit of fear. And so the Lord is, I feel this unction of the Lord, this unction of the Holy Spirit of like almost saying, child of God, let that roar arise, like rise up, show up, shut up, <laughs> shut up and show up. You know, it's, it's like we were talking about earlier. It's like, guys, listen, just show up. I called you to be in that room. You belong. I called you here. Will you show up? I don't care who says what. What is your motive? Is your motive self-preservation? Is your motive everybody in the room should like me? Everybody in the room should be like, yay, Lauren, yay, Hannah. Like, no, what if, what if they're not? What if God has called you to be in a den of lions? What are you going to go for? What is your motive for you to enter into a room or be at a certain place? Is it an ego boost? Or like, gosh, I hope this community strokes my ego. Or is it obedience? Because if your motivation is obedience, God, whatever this looks like, whoever disagrees with me in the room, whoever, whatever, whether they want me to be there or not, I'm going there for you. I'll tell you that is the real posture of humility. That is real humility. Not, oh God, I am Lord. I am thy lowly servant and like, you know, whatever. It's actually, God, I'm going to obey you at no matter what cost. No matter what the cost, I'm going to obey you. And so that was my thing. It was so intriguing for me that the angel of the Lord sent Hagar back to where she came from, you know? So it was not like Sarah was Jezebel. It was more like partnering with that spirit of fear that leads to isolation. So I think that's a very like, that's what I feel like the Lord is dealing with this season where he's just aligning the way his children see themselves and their worthiness. And then there's almost like, yeah, there's reconciliation of pieces that are happening, you know? And the Lord is dealing with cracks in the foundation because there is the glory that he wants to entrust his children with. And the thing is, if there's a fracture in the foundation, if the weight of the glory increases, the fracture will also increase. The fracture will also increase if you apply the weight or the pressure. But God is such a good father to highlight that. And so right now the season, he's highlighting, hey, there's a fracture there. Like, that's fear there. There's self-doubt there. There's self-sabotage there. Why don't we deal with that? And so it's almost like he's realigning the our hearts to just be fixed on him and say, what do you call me? Why have you actually called me here? What do you see in me? And then allowing myself to partner with what he sees and then allowing that unction of the spirit to draw me forward. Um, and then that's how the promise gets fulfilled. You know, that's how the, whatever, the wheels start turning or whatever, whatever. But, I hope this makes sense. Wow. Yes. Yeah. It does make a ton of sense. Yeah. I'm blown away. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. that's so I'm good. On this, I'm still unpacking this with the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm, I was mind blown this morning. I'm like, oh, actually, the spirit of Jezebel, man, it's a spirit of isolation. It isolates yeah. you from community. Because a lot of times, I don't know about you, we've talked about the spirit of Jezebel and you attach a woman's face to it and it's just like oh she's a Jezebel if she wears too much makeup or if she has tight pants and like her butt looks nice in church wow she's a Jezebel like <laughs> yeah no. like shut up. yeah it's it's just mm -hmm. we fail this we fail to realize that's a religious spirit to be honest what I was talking about but we fail to realize that isolation if the oh my gosh isolation is such a so dangerous so so dangerous so never isolate yourself from community 
Um, and the thing is, the only way we're, we're going to thrive in community is if we see ourselves through God's eyes and if we see each other through God's eyes and call and constantly call that out and change the lens, change the lens from which we see ourselves and each other. And if we can foster that as a community, oh my gosh, unstoppable. It's, it'll be like an ax to reunion. Yes. Oh, so good. Can you pray into that just as we close? That's beautiful. I'm sure this is resonating with people. You have such a, so Hannah has such a beautiful eye of what, yeah, what God is doing. And that's like the beauty God shares secrets with those that he's close with. And so I think you're spot on and I think this will resonate, um, resonates for sure to me. So would you pray over us as we close? Jesus, thank you, God, that it is the glory of God to conceal a matter and the glory of kings to search it out. So I just pray that whoever's listening right now with just these nuggets that they've heard, that they would they would go and do the kingly and queenly um, privilege of just going and searching out matters of your heart. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for wetting our appetite, for watering like the dry areas of our soul. And I just pray, Holy Spirit, that just for a gush of wind for just this rejuvenation of hearts and minds that first love flame and fire to be reignited again in the name of jesus and i just bless everyone that's on this journey just to discover your heart more and just to get to know you god for who you are not for the promise not for anything else but just for the pleasure of your company jesus your your presence is enough it is enough. You are enough. You are more than enough. And so, God, we're just going to settle into that and lean back into that and to trust that the caller is the keeper, that he who has called you to something will keep you. He is the keeper of the promise. Thank you that we don't have to hold anything together. So we just fall into you. We just allow ourselves to fall into you. Thank you for holding us so well. Thank you for holding everyone that's listening and watching. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for Lauren and what she's stewarding. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have your arms wrapped all around her. And just bless her, Lord. Bless her coming season as well. Thank you that she's such an Esther, Lord. Such an Esther. And she has a full all-access pass to you. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. And just bless this time. In Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, thank you, Hannah, for your heart. I pray, um, yeah, people were encouraged today. And thank you for, um, I feel like you brought realignment to hearts today. So thank you for that.